It's Amber. This month, Pastor Mike's new book, What's Big Start Small, is finally available. It examines the parable of the sower. I've read the Bible most of my life, but sometimes I need someone to make me stop and really break it down. What does this mean? What is Jesus saying? What warnings should I take from this? This book was a fun but convicting read. It would be an amazing book to do for a Bible study with friends or neighbors or coworkers this summer. It's available on Amazon or barnesandnoble.com. We are continuing our journey today through the acronym for hope. We are at the letter P, which stands for power, more specifically, resurrection power. Hey guys, it's Amber, wife, mother, warrior, type A child of God. Here at Little Things, we examine everyday issues from a biblical perspective with one simple goal, to know and love God more. Thanks for joining me. Maybe you've never heard that phrase before. I first heard it through Chris Tomlin's song by the very same name. If you haven't heard that song, I can't encourage you enough to look it up, crank it, (laughs) sing it at the top of your lungs, especially if you're feeling defeated or overwhelmed, or if you're feeling significantly weak and unable to face the things that you are up against. Maybe you're facing the choices or the consequences of the choices that you've made in the past. And those things are really coming back to haunt you. Great song. Go to that song. Or maybe you're facing temptation. You want to walk away from your pet sins. You no longer want to be, you know, slave to them, but you're still having those cravings or you still see those people who you used to partake of those sins with, um, you know, on social media or in public or They call you up or text you, and so you're feeling that nudge to keep going in that same direction. Yep, listen to that song. Or maybe you're just feeling the loneliness of swimming upstream, as we have to day after day as Christians in this culture. You know, I was just talking to my daughter recently about her, um, about something that happened at school, and you know, it's so hard to be odd man out if you're not going to do what everybody else is doing, or if you're not going to talk about the things that everybody else is talking about, whether that's, you know, engaging in the, you know, dating scene or the drinking scene or whatever. It can just be so hard to be the one who's like, yeah, I don't do that. Or, you know, just excusing yourself from the conversation day after day after day. Or if you're just struggling in prayer for the very corrupt world that we live in, I mean, it can be hard. And sometimes you just feel worn down and overwhelmed. And again, man, that song and many others are just good songs to point you back to the fact that you are not hopeless and you are not alone and you're not defeated because we have resurrection power. I want to remind you, too, that in Second Peter 2, um, verses 7 to 8, we're told that Lot, a righteous man who was distressed by the tra- depraved conduct of the lawless, and in parentheses, for that righteous man living among them day after day was tormented in his righteous soul by the lawless deeds he saw and heard. You know, Lot too. He lived on the outskirts of Sodom and Gomorrah, and man, he saw it all. And we're told that he was tormented and distressed by what he saw. And that's such a good reminder that 
there's nothing new under the sun. If you are feeling tormented, if you're distressed by what you see on TV, by what you hear is going on, even, you know, unfortunately, sometimes in our own families or in the families of people that we know at church, and you just think, man, we can't catch a break. These people are just being, you know, swallowed up by culture. I get it. You know, again, we have to go back to the word and and for me so often to just the songs of Christian musicians who remind me and point me back to God and that we're not overcome. Yeah, maybe for a time. It seems like we're, you know, losing in the war, but that doesn't mean the battle's done and stay in the fight. So resurrection power. What exactly is resurrection power? Well, in Romans chapter eight, the apostle Paul tells us this, but if Christ is in you, your body is dead because of sin, yet your spirit is alive because of righteousness. And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who lives in you. And then a couple of verses later, for you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear, but you received the spirit of sonship. Let's talk about the spirit, the spirit who is alive in us and what he can do. I don't know if you're familiar with King David in the Old Testament, but he didn't start out as King David. He started out as a shepherd boy who was mostly all but forgotten by his family. So Samuel came to Bethlehem where David lived, and he came to anoint the next king of Israel, the future king of Israel. There was already a king at the time, King Saul. God rejected King Saul because he failed to obey God and his mind and his heart weren't in line with God. And so Samuel was there to anoint the next king of Israel who wouldn't take the throne immediately. But it was just God's way of saying, yeah, there's hope coming. Saul won't be king forever. So we went and met Jesse and saw Jesse's sons. And immediately Samuel thought, oh man, this guy, the firstborn, he's really nice looking. He's tall. Surely this must be the next king of Israel. And God said, no, no, it's not. And so Samuel went to the next and went down the line. And God said to Samuel and through Samuel to us, you know, men look at the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. And so he saw all of these boys in front of him. And not one of them was the one that God told him to anoint to be the next king of Israel. And so he said to Jesse, you know, are are these all your sons? And Jesse said, well, there's one, the youngest, but he's in the field tending the sheep. And Samuel said, we'll send for him. And lo and behold, this little ruddy shepherd boy, David, was the one he was to anoint to be the next king of Israel. So we're told in 1 Samuel 16, verse 13, so Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And from that day on, the spirit of the Lord came upon David in power. And what did this boy, full of the Spirit of the Lord, do? Well, in 1 Samuel chapter 17, we find out. Because the whole Israelite army was on a hillside, shaking in fear. Because on the other side was a nine-foot 
giant by the name of Goliath who was taunting and threatening Israel. And all the Israelites were just shaking. They, they couldn't summon any courage. And Jesse sent his son David to the battlefield with cheese and bread and to find out how things were going. And David arrived just as Goliath started his taunts. And David thought, who is this? Like, what's going on? Who's going to go fight this guy? And everybody around him was like, are you crazy? You know, but David just kept talking about it. And finally, by doing that, he was sent to King Saul, who, by the way, was not on the front lines, but was in a tent hiding himself, totally afraid himself, who should have been going out to face Goliath. Who but the king, the leader, who was, by the way, well-armed. He had his coat of armor, but no. And so David went and saw King Saul, and it, it wasn't his strength, and it wasn't his stature that made him confident, but rather that he knew God's faithfulness. He told Saul that there had been a time when a bear came and, and took a sheep and started wandering off, and, and David fought that bear. And there was another time when a lion came, and David fought the lion, and he killed the bear, and he killed the lion, and he said that God who delivered me from the paw of the bear and the paw of the lion will deliver me from this uncircumcised Philistine. That's where his hope was. And so David, a small boy by Saul's account, and unarmed, not wearing a coat of armor, and not appreciated by his brothers at least, went out alone across this valley to face this mighty giant. Now, when he went, he said, I go in the name of the God of angel armies. And if you haven't thought about it before, I, I want to just spend a second or two asking you to consider how big of a miracle this was. Not because David was small and Goliath was big, but because Goliath was wearing a coat of armor that weighed just under 150 pounds. And he also had a shield bearer who went in front of him. So when you think about it, there wasn't a whole lot of a target. And yet the very first stone that left David's slingshot sunk right into Goliath's forehead and down Goliath went. That's the power of the spirit of God. I want to ask you, what battles would you fight if you had the courage to do so, knowing that the spirit of God was in you? Would you fight to keep your children walking with the Lord? If your kids are young, that might just mean getting up and actually going to church. And I know how hard that can be when they've been up several times throughout the night, or it's the one day that you don't have anything else going on, and getting up is not that easy. And you go and you wrestle your way through church, and you think, why? And yet it's so important to go week after week after week, because little by little, they learn to be in church. They learn to see it as important. And little by little, you understand more and you hear more and you get through the service more. Maybe it means you actually step up and become a Sunday school teacher 
so that you get your children to Sunday school every single week and they can learn the truths of the Word of God at their level. Maybe it means you take your vacation time and help to run VBS so they not only are learning the accounts in the Bible, but they're enjoying fellowship and having fun with other people from your church. And maybe that's going to mean fewer sports or extracurricular activities in order to be more involved in church in general. If you have older kids, it may mean that you invite them to church and then over to lunch at your house. Or it may mean that you start a Bible study night for them and their friends. Maybe you start a youth group at the church. It may mean that you go to a different church service to accommodate them. Maybe you like to get up and go to early service, but because your teens struggle just a little and because it's so important that they're there, you would way rather go to late service than not have them go at all. Maybe the battle that you're going to fight is being the godly one in the lunchroom at work or at the neighborhood get-together or um, with your in-laws, even for a holiday. I don't know what your battle is or what it would be if you had the courage to face it, but this is what I do know. I do know that we are defending God's name in a whole culture of Goliaths. The taunts and the attacks on truth, even the pure evil that is celebrated, ought to bring us to the battlefield. In September of 2021, Barna released its recent poll results, and it showed that, again, a vast majority of Americans call themselves Christians, but they don't really know or understand the truths of God. So they're Christian in name only. So of these people that call themselves Christians, 72% believe that people are basically good. 66 say having faith matters more than which faith you pursue. Like just as long as you pursue some faith, it really doesn't matter which one. 66 people, percent of people say that. 64% say all religions are equal. And 57% believe in karma. Okay, there's a subgroup And this is what Barna calls the highly discipled cohort. So these are people who actually go to a Christian church regularly, who read their Bible, who kind of actually have more of a Christian worldview. But of those, which is the 9% of the bigger um, group, 52% say that people are basically good. And 39% say the Holy Spirit isn't real, but just a symbol of God's part power. And of that group, the highly discipled group, 33% believe in karma. In fact, Barna's conclusion was there is a remarkable level of self-deception. It represents (laughs) massive education challenges for those responsible for the worldview development. Basically, what Barna is saying is most people don't know the Bible anymore. Most people don't know the truths of the Bible anymore. And by the way, most people don't even know who God is, not the triune God. They don't even believe that the Holy Spirit is real. So, yeah, there are a lot of Goliaths out there. 
a whole lot of Goliaths for us to see on the battlefield. Number two reason why we need to fight God's battle is because once someone starts and has enough courage to go to battle, a lot of times other people follow. So if you were to read the account of David and Goliath in 1 Samuel chapter 17, you would see that these same Israelites who were shaking in their boots, as soon as that stone sunk into Goliath's forehead and David ran up and chopped off his head and he held it up for all to see, the giant is dead. We're told that the Israelites surged forward and pushed the Philistines back. So as soon as one person got up the courage to move in the right direction and stand for the things of God, guess what? A whole army of people came behind and did the same. Why fight God's battles? Because you will encourage others to do the same. And number three reason is because God is stronger than Satan. Look, he could defeat him all day long. But God chooses to work through us. That's how he does things. Edmund Burke said, The only thing necessary for evil to triumph is for good men to do nothing. And boy, does Satan work hard to make that happen. He wants us to stay on the sidelines. He loves when we are shaking in fear. He loves when, we, he, when he puts obstacles in our way and we think, well, I mean, we, we'll never get past that. We won't be able to do anything about that. I mean, that's what all those Israelites looking at Goliath thought. He's too big. We can't do that. But we have the spirit of God in us. We have resurrection power. Think about a particularly windy night when the disciples were out on the boat and Jesus walked to them on the sea. They were terrified, thinking that Jesus was a ghost. And he said, take courage, it is I. Good old Peter. Oh, I love Peter. I think because I'm an awful lot like him. I just so often speak and think later. But Peter said, Lord, if it is you, tell me to walk to you on the water. And let me tell you what Jesus did not say. Jesus didn't say, Peter, you can't walk on water. Why would you success suggest such a stupid thing? He didn't say, Peter, you're crazy. Sit down in the boat. Get a hold of yourself. Think about what you're saying. He simply said, come. Have you thought about the things that you could do? that God would let you do, but you haven't even asked. I bet that when Peter said, Lord, if it's you, tell me to walk to you in the water, the other 11 disciples were going, what? Are you crazy? We're holding on for dear life here. The wind's whipping, the oars are straining. You want to get out of the boat? If you want to be in God's battle, all you have to do is ask. Because there's nothing he can't do. And you know what? He may just say yes. (laughs) The Apostle Paul said in Philippians 1.20, this, by the way, is my life first. I picked it out, oh man, 15 or more years ago, I think. It says, I eagerly expect and hope 
that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now and always Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. When you understand resurrection power, you have very little reason to be afraid. You can be like David. Who cares what the Goliaths say? Who cares what taunts they make? All they have is the power of Satan, and God is so much bigger than that. You can be like Peter. You don't have to spend your life curled in a ball, afraid of doing anything. Stand up. Speak out. Go against culture. Who cares? You've got God with us. Now, don't do it in a disrespectful way. That's not what we're saying. But you have the truth. Second Timothy 1.7 says, For God did not give us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of sound mind. You have the power of love in addition to the power of a sound mind that can help you with the arguments you need to make. And you don't have to be afraid because the Holy Spirit is in you. Isaiah 40 verse 31 says, But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. And let me tell you, I rely on that. I can't tell you the number of times that I have thought to myself, my superpower is my ability to be completely exhausted before I even go to do something like an eight-hour day at work. And yet, I don't have to depend on myself. Because before I walk into work, I say, God, I am exhausted. And you know what I need? I need your strength to get me through the night. And you know what? There has not been one time that God has not given me the strength that I need and I have an active job. So if I can do it, then you know what? You too can go to battle for the Lord. And you know, I know I'm where I need to be. And I know that when I walk in to work, I am battling for God because I see it over and over and over, either in the residents that I take care of who are elderly and they need help And I can encourage them in the Lord. And I can be that loving, faithful, understanding person who treats them with dignity and respect. Or in the coworkers that I work with who need to know the Lord. And I can stand for the truths of God. I know that I'm going to battle for God's people and for God's name when I go into work. So of course he gives me strength. And of course, he gives me words. And of course, he gives me power to get through my shift. And he will do the same for you, whatever the battle is. So to tie this all together, this resurrection power is a reminder of what God in us can do. It's the same power that made it possible for David to defeat Goliath and for the apostle Peter to walk on water. It's the same power that is going to give our weary bodies the strength to make it through the day. And it's the same power we're told in Romans chapter 8, verse 11, that raised Jesus from the dead. 
In Ephesians chapter 1, the Apostle Paul wrote, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance and his holy people, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms. Did you catch that? Paul prayed that we would know the hope we have and the incomparably great power that we have access to. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead is ours to do God's work on earth. We're not helpless. Far from it. Whatever we face, whatever battle, whatever Goliath, whatever is threatening you right now, well, it's small and it's overcomable when we realize we're equipped with resurrection power, the incomparably great power of God. My friends don't have to wonder what I like or don't like because you may have guessed this about me, but I'm not one to keep the good stuff for myself. If you know someone who would benefit from this episode, send it to them. And then meet for coffee and four hours later, you'll both have a new attitude on life. Or maybe that's just me. Either way, thanks for being here and have a great week.